Welcome to episode 159 of Control the Controllables. When we set about with this podcast, I wanted to bring lots of different stories. And there were certain players, especially British players, that I knew as a young coach, that I'd wondered what had happened to them. Over the years, there's been so many top junior players, whether it's under 12, under 14s, under 16s, or at times, as we saw with Ollie Golding, also under 18s, who then never quite went on to the stage that we expected them to. And just, it, it all went to my head. And I got into this rut of wanting to experience what losing was like again. And then it was a rut that I couldn't get out of. And whilst everyone was developing um, and going on to bigger and better things, there was me still thinking that I was a massive fish in, a, in an incredibly small pond. And today we bring you one of those stories. And it's the first time that Josh Sapwell has really told his story. He's now age 25. He's happy, he's coaching and doing a great job. But if we look back 10 years ago, 11 years ago, he was winning the famous Orange Bowl title out in Miami, Florida. He was then tipped to be the next Andy Murray. And it's not quite as easy as that, as you will find out. It's a brilliant story. It's told in an extremely raw and passionate way. And for Josh, I thank him a lot for that. I know you're going to enjoy it. Sit back and enjoy Josh Sapwell. So Josh Sapwell, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Very good. Yourself? Very good. And uh, I've called you Josh to start off. Um, as you said off air, you only get called Joshua when you're naughty. So hopefully, hopefully through this podcast, I'll only have to call you Josh. What? Exactly. I, pl- I, pl- I plan to behave myself, Dan. <laughs> and you I are, I've, I've said for a while, I always, I always think of the names. I think of Jamie Delgado, 1991, under 14 Orange Bowl champion. George Morgan, 2007, under 14 Orange Bowl champion, and then 2010, Josh Sapwell. And those are the the three male British players that have won the under-14 Orange Bowl event. And I've always thought to myself, you know, where is Josh? What, what's, what has happened to Josh? And I hope we're going to get into, into lots of those things today. But as we always start, Josh, with the podcast you were a bit of a bit of a young sensation. So yeah. so your early days in tennis, how did that start? Who were the influencers? How did you get so good so soon? Um, so my mum was a big um, big driving force behind it. I think from what she tells me, obviously I was too young to to remember, but from what she tells me, she we were watching Wimbledon and um, apparently I said that I wanted to play there. Apparently, uh, this was at two and a half years old, so I doubt that I doubt those words came out of my mouth. But whether <laughs> they did or not is is uh, is up to her, I guess. Um, and it, and yeah, she just you know we were from Bedfordshire, and she took me down to my local club, and it's quite a strange story, really, because the coach that I had my first lesson with, I ended up being with him. That's Neil Claxton. Um, I ended up being with him from two and a half to 16, really. 
And uh, he was just at this little club in Flitwick, um, which has like I think seven courts, six, seven courts. Um, and he was just there for a week. He was from Cambridge. Um, uh-huh. He was just there doing a camp, uh, like a summer's, summer's camp or an Easter camp, whatever it was. And yeah, no, it was quite a, it was a very small world. It was a very small world that he just so happened to be there at that time. But, um, and he was just starting his uh, coaching uh, career. And it was quite a, quite a nice story for the two of us, really. So Absolutely. we both sort of just clicked and, uh, and then it, it, it went forward from there. Like, in addition to my mum, my granddad, my mum's my dad was also a, a really um, prominent sportsman as well. So yep. um, he was a big driving force too. Oh, yeah. and, and, and that's it, it is you, you don't hear of it very often so if we take your relationship with Neil did you appreciate at the time how special that relationship was or was it almost taken for you to come away from being a player to almost reflect and and see that for sure it's it's um I mean obviously the bond and the relationship I formed with Neil from a very early age um yeah we still have now um, and obviously it's massively bigger and stronger now. Um, but you don't fully appreciate it until you're out of that situation. Yeah. You know, I think that's the same for a lot of things in life, isn't it? Um, but yeah, it, it truly was, it truly was a special story. And it, it was really one of a kind, really, uh, yeah. me and myself. And what did he give you? What were the main things when you look back on it? Because I think there's so many of us that are in the coaching world that we work with a player for a year or two and then they move on or, you know, we move on. And to have that over such a, a long period, what was what was it that Neil was able to give you other than just the obvious of, of good technique and, and things like that? Um, well, you see my technique, Dan. <laughs> not sure, not sure we can call it good. Um, but he was just a very, he was a very knowledgeable, down to earth, calming, had a hugely calming influence on me. Um, so he used to get his point across in a very calm but authoritative, authoritative way. If you know what I mean? So it was very authoritative, but it was also in a, you know, he was never the, the aggressive, loud person you, you would have had to have. Um, Joshua would have been shouting at a very loud, loud rate if, if, if I got him annoyed. Um, I must have been doing something pretty naughty. But just his, his knowledge is, his, again, I've been lucky to be coached and come across arguably some of the best coaches you know, in the game, he would always remain, you know, one of the best coaches I've ever come across because he's just, his drive to want to be better, his knowledge was incredible from a young age. What he taught me, because I, was, I wasn't easy, I wasn't easy, but he clearly saw something in me, whatever it was, um, and he, he was heavily invested, both physically and emotionally, and he, you know, there's a huge driving force behind it. We were out there, yeah, on snowy mornings in the winter, it's 6.30 in the morning before school, 7 in the morning, and then he'd be there taking me out of school at lunch and we'd go again and, uh, and then in the evenings we'd go again. He'd always be there. He a huge, huge motor to want to, you know, improve himself and improve me. And 
you know, I'll forever, forever be be grateful for that. If you if you didn't have that, because we always, again, I think there is these driving forces. Quite often, it is apparent. You know, we certainly see on the on the women's tour in particular, we see, you know, some of these kind of what what are perceived as crazy fathers until until they succeed, and then maybe they're not as crazy. If you didn't have that behind you, do you think you had it intrinsically yourself to be that highly motivated to push yourself? Absolutely not. Okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, because I was always, yeah, same old classic story. It was always football or tennis. Yeah. And I was always better at tennis than I was football. I was good at football, but I was always a little bit better at, at tennis. But football's just a little bit easier because it's with your mates, right? Yeah. And that is the driving force, is being out there with your mates, playing playing a yep. game, trying to kick the ball in the back of the net. Tennis on their own. Yeah. Was that your ultimate downfall? Um, one of. Yeah, one of, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I guess that the reason I asked that question is, there's only often so long we can keep keep players up, you know, and yeah. ultimately in, in a sport like tennis, there has to be such an an unquivering motivation to to get up, to go again, to get over the injuries, to to travel the world, to do it week in, week out, to deal with the losses. Is is that something? I know it was an injury that was, was played played a role in in you stopping, but ultimately talk us through that period. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly what we were saying about how much I appreciate Neil. You know, you, you only it's quite nice now to sort of look back and see things much more clearly, um, and it's very obvious where things went wrong for me in terms of. Uh, you know, not quite achieving what many would say I should have achieved or could have achieved or would have achieved, depending on who you are. And um, you know, there was a whole catalogue of yeah, no, I'll be I'll be brutally honest about it, like I am with everyone. You know, there's a whole when I look back, there's a whole catalogue of things that if we could all turn the clock back, I would have changed. But you learn from those mistakes, or not mistakes, but learnings. I prefer to call them learnings because that's what life's about. Um, and that's what that's what ultimately betters you as a person. Um, but, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I was, I was winning up until 14. I was, there was glimmers of what I could potentially achieve. You know, I won 12 and under nationals. Um, you know, I was always always top in the country for my age group. So there were glimmers. Um, but I always, and I, I still say it, so I'm, I'm a huge Chelsea fan. And my mum my and I always say it, I'm very similar to Chelsea. When I'm good, you, it was good. And when I was bad, I was bad. There was no in the middle, you know, and... It was for me, I was either winning 12 and under nationals or then when I moved up to the 14s, you know, people that I was beating very comfortably were suddenly top 40 in Europe, 40 and under. And I was like, oh my God, this is a different world. I'm never going to get to that level. I think, yeah, I was, 
I was a maverick. I was different. I would go as I would go as far as to say I was a huge disappointment to the LTA um, until I was fourteen, because you know I wasn't the person that or the player that many people wanted me to be. I wasn't behaved on court. Um, I mean, you probably can remember me. I don't know. I know, I know a lot of people will probably remember my antics on court, but I would smash rackets and do the classic and punch for strings and I think the whole world was against me and I, I would lose a lot of tennis matches. Other people wouldn't beat me. I'd beat myself. Um, and then I was always getting told to play a different way to what I felt comfortable doing. You know, I was always, I was always getting told, you know, that I needed to be more consistent. Um, I needed to be more emotionally consistent. I needed to be fitter. I needed to be, you know, in better shape. Um, I was always getting told that whatever, you know, whatever, whatever game style I adopted was always wrong. And I remember it's, it's not a huge amount that I can remember from my, you know, those years ago, but I remember really vividly. It was just after team tennis, I believe. That's what it used to be called at Bolton. And I think, I think I lost last 16. Had an absolute meltdown. Absolute meltdown. And um, you know, my mum my absolutely crucified me, you know, because you know, she was always so invested and you know, she... Couldn't, she hated it, hated it when I used to play up on court because one, that's not how she brought me, or not how her and my dad brought me up. But two, because you know she just didn't like other people seeing me behave like that, and also didn't like me losing, you know, because that was what ultimately did used to lose one of those matches. Um, and I remember I went to Taj and I had to qualify, and um, I said to myself, "Do you know what? Let's just play a game." Let's just play a game. I'm, you know, I, I've, I'm fed up now. I don't actually care if I win or lose. Because um, I'm so fed up of people telling me to do this, to do that, to play like this, to play like that, to behave like this, to behave like that. I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. Um, and the first match I played, I decided to not miss. And that sounds absolutely bizarre, right? Because it's, it's, it's only, if only it was that simple. And I was like, I'm just not going to miss. I'm not going to miss. I'm going to see where it gets me. When I inevitably do lose, uh, so when I inevitably do miss, I'll play another game. So I'll see how long I can go without missing. That won me that match. Did the same in the second round of college. Won that match. Did the same again. Got into main draw. I remember, I can't remember his name. Um, uh, one of the reps at Babla came up to me and was talking about sponsoring me. I was already with Wilson at the time. You know, he was really impressed. Uh, a couple of, couple of players. I don't know if you can remember him, but Quincy. He was unbelievable yep. at the time. Up. Yeah, yeah. He came up to me and was like, you play really well, man. And I was like, sorry? Like, really? Uh, you know, Quentin Hallis, had, uh, who he ended up going to win times that year. And he was like, yeah, you play really well. I was like, wow. I thought it's unbelievable. I then went and got to the quarterfinal, lost to um, Noah Rubin. And uh, oh no, did I beat Noah Rubin? I can't remember. I lost in the court. I lost in the court final. Really good result. And suddenly the world looked a much different place. Um, IMG contacted my mum out of the blue. Um, I was like, we really we were watching Josh in Tarbs and really want to 
help him and sponsor him. Suddenly he's like, oh my God, what's going on? And then I just, I'll be honest with you, Dan, I just carried on playing that way the whole of that year um, yeah. and just grew in confidence, grew in confidence, wasn't missing, was enjoying torturing oppositions by just not missing. I got myself so fit. Oh, you know, my team and I got, got myself so fit. And suddenly I was, it was, tennis was easy. Tennis, I was won nationals, I won European masters. I went on and I, I remember, I remember Neil, uh, I think I finished number two in Europe that year. I did finish number two in Europe. Um, I thought, oh my God. And I remember Neil, about a couple of days before I went to Orange Bowl, and this was really unlike him. He said to me, Josh, no one ever goes to Orange Bowl and wins all three. So it doesn't happen because they burn out. He said, most will, you know, most will peak in the first tournament or, you know, if they do really well, the second tournament and then go on and do nothing in Orange Bowl. So not deliberately lose the first two, but he said, if you're going to win one, make sure it's the last one. He said, because that's the one people remember. No one remembers the person who won Prince Cup and Eddie Hur. No one remembers that. People only remember the last one. So save yourself and go and win the third one. And I remember thinking, I thought, no way on earth. There's no way on earth I'm going to win. There's no way on earth I'm going to win something as big as that. Um, and it went and happened. And it was just the most bizarre thing ever. I st I still, if, if ever I think about it now, which I don't, but when people talk to me about it, it's still crazy because I just... I never felt I was, no, I, was, I never felt I was anywhere near that level, and suddenly, suddenly, Dan, the world felt a completely different place. You know, I signed a huge contract with Nike, um, signed uh, a really nice contract with Wilson. Also, had IMG by my side. Um, people, literally, the LTA Golden Boy. Um, I felt like I could do anything I wanted. I felt like I could do anything I wanted. It was, a it was a difficult moment because what should have been an unbelievable moment turned out to not be that great because my fitness coach, who I, who's called Simon Tomlinson, who's unbelievable, is unbelievable, he announced after I'd won it that he was, he was moving away to Thailand. He'd been offered a job there. So I lost him. Um, and he was incredibly driven, incredibly driven, incredibly knowledgeable, really lucky to have met him. Um, really knew what I needed to work on. You know, was proactive, was energetic, would have been out there for 12 hours a day if he needed to be. And he probably, he probably wouldn't have even charged me for it. He probably would have done it all three because he loved it. Um, Neil was going for a really difficult time because he had, by this point, he had um, ME for at least a year and couldn't get up out of bed. Couldn't get up out of bed. Um, so I had, this is not an excuse, but, but I had no one. Yeah. I had the LTA, um, which was obviously trying to help me as much as possible. But I was, I did all that. All of that was without Neil, really. Neil was there behind the scenes to talk to and yeah. I'd go to his house and see him. But for most of that year, Neil wasn't on court because he couldn't be. Um, so I was left with just club hitters, yeah. essentially. Club hitters that were following through instructions at Neil did you, did you feel you were doing it for him a little bit though did it give you that little extra 
push to to do that for him with what he was going through. Yeah, and I felt like I was giving. I felt like I was doing it for everyone. You know, my parents because they they gave me everything. Um, myself. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, going back to what you said about did I ever have that that individual drive? Yes, when I was winning. Yeah. Yes, when I was winning. But I believe now, in order to be the best or to be up there with the best, you know, of course you have to have something different. And for me, I was struggling, I think, with personnel around me. Um, I had everything thrown at me and I felt like I was on top of the world. I didn't have anyone to tell me otherwise. You know, I had people that were, you know, um, blowing smoke in my direction every single second of every single day. Um, and it's going to sound crazy. I actually, tennis was easy. And I felt I was bored. Yeah. It sounds crazy, right? I, but I was bored. And um, I remember I then went into, um, I was bored of winning. And it's quite ironic because in the end, I couldn't actually buy a win to save my life. Um, but I was bored of winning at 15. And I remember playing my first ITF in Nottingham. And again, I'm not going to say I deliberately lost, but there wasn't much about me that wanted to win because I wanted to experience what losing was like again. And unfortunately, a compilation of possibly not having the right personnel around me um thinking i was way better than what i actually was and not having people say oi and just it, it all went to my head and i got into this rut of wanting to experience what losing was like again and then it was a rut that i couldn't get out of um and whilst everyone was developing um and going on to bigger and better things there was me still thinking that I was a massive massive fish in a in an incredibly small pond and um didn't realize it at the time but all along you know my competitors were going like that and I was actually you know going down um and in this game you don't get long um and you can't be afford to be you can't afford to be going down for too long. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just got into a bad rut, and then it was um, you know I, I struggled with a couple of illnesses, and and I think where all this anxiety and stress came along, yeah, that brought on the illnesses, and it inevitably brought on the the arm injury. Um, obviously, in and amongst all that. I actually separated with Neil, which, to be brutally honest, you know, broke my heart. Um, probably deciding to stop playing tennis at 20 is probably on a level par with one of the toughest decisions I've ever had to make. And obviously the other ones splitting up with Neil because Neil just wasn't able to get on court with me. And I did. I felt, I felt cheated. I felt... I felt cheated. It was, you know, when I look back now, it was, there was too many, just at the most important point 
of my career, things just, you know, there, there were too many errors. There were yep. too many mistakes. There was, there was too many mistakes. Arguably one of the most important points of my career. Because when I, you know, when I won Orange Bowl, that's where you go, right. Well done, mate. You're on the right track. You know, high five. But if you dare think for a second that you've made it, Absolutely. you're done. You're done. Um, and if you could go back to that time, knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself? At 15. The day after, you've won Orange Bowl. It's around Christmas time. I, I watched your interview last night. Um, yes. You didn't look very happy when you won it, but that was maybe just camera shy. Uh, yeah. But that was that was nice to see. And and you got asked the question, you know, what are you going to do now? How are you going to celebrate? And you said, I'm just going to go and celebrate Christmas with my family. You know, and it was very clear from that interview, you know, big family boy, want to be back with your family. I know, I played Orange Bowl, actually, a little uh, side story. Um, and I played Fernando Gonzalez in the quarterfinals of under 40 in Orange. Yeah, wow. And, and I was playing him on the 23rd of December because there'd been yeah. a little bit of rain. And I knew that if I won that match, I wouldn't get home for Christmas. Yeah. I was 5 4, 40, 15 up in both sets. I'm not saying that I consciously didn't win the match. Yeah. But I, but I definitely lacked the killer instinct uh, to to get through that match because of the yeah. consequence of it, which ultimately was probably my downfall as a tennis player. You know, I wasn't yeah. quite willing to sacrifice what what so many others are, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so so that period, you're to, you, you've won it. You're about to get on that flight the next day. You know, great, amazing, going back. Your life has changed in lots of ways maybe more than you realize what would yeah. you say, what would you say to yourself if you could have two minutes with yourself what would you say um i would i mean i'll going back on the on the plane with that trophy i'll never forget the feeling um i was in shock um but once i, I would love to just have yeah, it's a feeling that will stay with me forever. You know, never in a million years did I think I would ever win the world championships in the sport that I loved. But it happened. Um, but I wish, I wish I'd have had the composure to have said to myself, just for a couple of minutes, you know, look, go home. Obviously, enjoy it. enjoy Christmas with your family. But if there's any part of you that thinks that this is done at 15. You might as well stop now. Um, I think it was just naivety, you know. It was, it was naivety, and. But why would you know different? You're you're 14 yeah. years old, you know, and and this is yeah. this is my thing on it. And I I'll mention a couple of names, George, and I'll stay on the on the on the male side because this is male relevant. But mm. George Morgan, Ollie Golding, you know mm. si Simon Dixon. You might not know Simon, James yeah. Nelson, Matt Smith. Modern, modern yeah. tarps. you know we've never had a shortage of of these players you no. know that have that have either okay won these big events won one tarps one orange ball so so 
there has to be something that 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 goes back to the federation here and it's not about let's all just slag off the the LTA but there's there's been many Josh Sapwell stories you know not yeah. hundreds but there has been so so where's the learning you know I've had Lee Childs on this podcast Lee Childs at 17 was 300 in the world ATP yeah. And and he was taken away to play on clay and change his game style and you know all of these things. It's it's ringing true. You know the story that yeah, you're, yeah. that you're telling. So so yeah. on, a, on on a larger scale because I think your voice on this is so important because mm. you are someone that has been through it. You know mm. what is the learning from a British tennis standpoint? And my second part of that question, Josh, is if you were from Chile or Bolivia, or somewhere different, do you think that same thing would have happened? No, I just think, I, I think in this country, we, yeah, we've always had a very nicey-nicey approach, haven't we? And everyone is, you know, everyone is treated so amazingly, and players that are from, you know, sort of other parts of the world, it's brutal. You know, it's brutal, and even when they're even when they're number one in the world and they've they've won uh, you know, massive amounts of tournaments and and um, they've achieved unbelievable rankings and won so many Grand Slams, it's still never good enough. You know, it's never good enough, and they're out there training for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on end. And you know, I just think we're bred differently, um, and obviously, I, I can. I am speaking for myself, but I also know a lot of my friends that have had similar stories to me. It's, it's the same outcome every time. It's we're allowed to get away with a lot. We're allowed to get away with doing the bare minimum because it's okay. It's okay because if we make it, then amazing. If we don't, then that's perfectly fine as well. Whereas in these other countries, <laughs> there's a, I can only imagine there's not such nice of an outcome if you don't make it or if you don't put on 110% into what you're doing, uh, you know, on the training court and, and outside of that. Um, so where that comes from, I, I don't know. Um, are the LTA to blame for that? I'm certainly not going to comment on that. Um, but I just, I just think, yeah, as you, as you quite rightly said, this story, my story happens a lot or you know, quite a bit. Uh, and there must be a reason for that. Um, and I just think it is because we are allowed to get, we have everything thrown at us. We have everything. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But clearly it's not great if, if a lot of people were not quite reaching their end goals, but I'm not, I'm not saying obviously everyone has to live through yeah, horrific times but I do think we have a lot of stuff thrown at us and a lot of things done for us and life is a hell of a lot easier than what it is yeah. you know, for some other people and to give a balance for you as well Josh I think the last couple that have been of that sort of ilk have been Jack Draper and, yep. and Emma Raducanu on the, on the girls yep. side you know who yeah, yeah. who had highly impressive young careers you know yeah. we we know now that under 14 orange balls so what in lots of ways yeah. it's it's an yeah. experience it's a, it's a moment yeah. you'll never lose but so yeah. what in terms of ultimate development and jack is closing in on top 100 in the world 
Emma's yep. now won a US Open. So it does feel that there is there is some changes that are happening, yeah. you know, that the, yeah. that maybe some of the, the lessons and maybe that'll be part of your legacy as well, that you're one of those yeah. players that have been, that have been learnt from what the, the yeah, bit that, sure. there's, a, there's a couple of bits I want to go into here, because I think by the way, unbelievably well-spoken and, and thank you for sharing so openly as well, Josh, because I think yeah. that will massively impact so many people listening when I go back to you as a junior, I didn't know you at all, but I knew I knew your pedigree and I yeah. knew when I saw you play, you hit the ball bloody cleanly and you uh, yeah. and and you were a bit different. You you almost were borderline arrogant on the court, mm -hmm. which yeah. which 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 is which actually I I always thought this this kid's gonna be good. He has such mm -hmm. belief in himself. And there was a a special tag to you. Marat Safin, Marcelo Rios, Nick Kyrgios, Benoit Pair. There's all mm. of these types of players that in our system we've not allowed to come through because and, and you talked about it really well earlier on in the in the episode where you were you were talking about how you felt you were sick of people telling you to be a certain way. You know, yeah. can you can you expand on that and maybe just give us Again, now that you're a coach, if you had a young Josh Sapwell who was launching rackets and doing certain things differently to the to the conformed way that we we see a perfect tennis player should be, how 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 would you manage that person? How how should you have been managed? I mean, obviously, there's a certain way that I believe someone should conduct themselves on court. Um, because, I mean, some people obviously it enhances their performance. For me. It didn't always, um, but you're right. As I said, you know, I was constantly getting told to be a certain way, do things a certain way, play a certain way, and if I didn't, then there would very usually be consequences. Um, and as I said, you know, I, I, I left Neil at 16 and went into a completely different world. I went to Ryanton full-time. Yeah, there was a lot of people there. There was, there was, there was certainly there were most of the best players in the country there. And I think it's also fair to say, after nine months of being there, it wasn't for me. But in that nine months, you're right, Dan, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I think what made me so good at such a young age was I was very arrogant. And I had huge belief, you know, in myself. I remember, I remember when I was fifteen. I would have happily, I would have lost very easily, but I would have happily played Federer. I would have happily yep. played Nadal, and I would have believed that I could have won. I wouldn't, obviously. I would have got absolutely battered, but I was very much at a mindset. Come and have a go. I'll have a go. I'm not. I'm not fine or anything. Unfortunately, unfortunately, as I said, you know, I'm certainly not going to be throwing anyone under the bus. But was not, that coached out of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was not, not just because, not just because of the environment, certain other situations. That, again, I, I, I won't obviously be going. I won't be going to, um, but. I came out of Rowanton, a shadow, shadow of my unrecognisable, yeah. unrecognisable 
to the point where I was every tournament, every tournament I played, I would look, and I never used to be one of these people. I wouldn't care who was the draw. I, I would win that. I would be winning that tournament. And if I didn't win that tournament, I would be gutted because I should have won that tournament. Um, I believed I could beat anyone. But when I came out of there at almost, almost, I think it was October, November, I, I, I got, my mum took me out of Roehampton. Um, so I was almost 17. And um, uh, an example would be every tournament I played, I would be looking at the draw sheet. And if I had anybody ranked above me, that'd be it. I'd beat myself before I'd even stepped into the court. Yeah. I, I didn't believe I could win just based on ranking. Yeah. Um, my confidence was just the amount I doubted myself was, was scary. I wasn't, I wasn't able to play tennis anymore. It was, it wasn't a battle between me and my opposition. It was a battle between me and myself. And yeah, yeah it was, it was horrendous. It was horrendous. Yeah. And how I picked up a racket again after Roehampton stills oh. arguably one of my greatest achievements that actually yeah. playing when I came out of there because I was done with the sport um, so that's another obviously contributing factor is and I'll be honest with you I never got that back yeah I never got I never got that self-confidence back I never got that arrogance back um, and my heart not many people will ever understand this, but my my heart completely went completely went in the sport. And and you you alluded earlier, Josh, as well to dealing with a lot of stress and anxieties. Is was was that something that became outside of the sport something that your mental health really suffered from as well? Yeah, yeah. My mental health wasn't in a. I was experiencing things that I'd never experienced in my life. Yeah, yeah. my my life was very simple. It was get up, do your training or go to a match, win, come home, get ready for the next one, enjoy tennis, enjoy winning. Um, it's been a very long time since I've ever, ever felt that. You know, that, 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 that left me at, that left me at probably 15 and a half, 16. Yep. And never, never, never returned. Um, but lots of learnings, like, yeah, I've, I've, um, I've fronted up to it. I've taken lots of learnings from it. Shame. Yeah. Huge shame. Huge shame. Um, but I see life, I see myself and I see my tennis career and I see my life in a much different light now. And I'm you know, very, very at ease and happy and comfortable with that. Good. Um, but yeah. You wouldn't want to, at age 25, you wouldn't want to, play a game everyone everyone asks me this everyone says this I get uh, the line that I get a lot is someone as good as you why would you not be tempted to go back or if I had your talents I would be one of the happiest people alive playing tennis um, I enjoy I enjoy playing for work or playing for the club that I work at um, but that's six matches a year I do enjoy that because I can play anxiety free I don't no. care and funnily enough when I don't care I can play some steal some pretty nice tennis um, interestingly when matches get close now 
anxiety starts to creep in from what sort of reared its head post Roehampton or during Roehampton, but post post Roehampton. Um, so the answer to your question, no. And no. as I, I know that you're you're going on court in a few minutes, Josh, and we, we can't not have the quick fire round because my listeners will kill me. But before we move into the quick fire round, how have you been able to transition from player to coach? Is that is that been something that's been a pleasurable experience? Has that been quite a, a hard experience because you, you've got to accept that you're no longer Josh Sapwell, the player, and now you are someone who's a coach? And then secondly to that is what sort of philosophies are you now taking into your coaching? Um, the transition was tough at the start. Um, when I stopped playing, I thought I, let, I said to myself, I'd never, never ever see another tennis court again. Um, but I actually got offered a job at Gosling where I was training and I loved it. Um, and I was really passionate about it. Um, I think Antonio Conte was the manager at Chelsea at the time. and I loved his enthusiasm. and I tried to apply that to my coaching and the results that I got from some of the players I was working with were fantastic. And I thought... I fell in love with tennis from a different perspective, a perspective in a way that I never thought I would. And I thought, why not? Let's just, I've, I feel like I've got so much to offer this sport. You know, it'd be a real shame for it to end like this. Um, and yeah, I don't get me wrong, I've had some tough times. You know, usually when people are quizzing me on uh, you know, my past, um, but I've always been really Sorry. strong and. <laughs> I've always I've always been really strong and mature and faced up to these things and listened and took take you know, took on board what people were saying and and I've really really grown I've really grown and I think it's it's very much fair to say and I I know my boss would agree with me because he told me this earlier actually you know in the last three or four years of being here at Berkhamsted, you know, arguably it's been the best of my life and I've matured massively um, as a coach. I take my work very seriously. I'm always looking to develop. I'm always looking to be better. Um, so do you know what? The transition now is pretty, pretty nice and easy. I know my responsibilities. I love the people that I work with. Um, and I think arguably the nicest thing of all is actually is now starting to appreciate that people don't look at me or whether I don't think they did anyway but you know we all we all have that irrational part of our brain right that thinks we're the center of everyone else's universe <laughs> in actual fact we're not no um, and it's and no one gives a crap <laughs> and I think it's just so nice now you know the, the tennis forum that you uh, you were running the other week it's nice not to turn up to a place like that and my head's saying oh josh you know these people all think you're failures they won't talk to you they don't like you because you're one they don't actually care and two they appreciate me now for the coach that i am and not the player i was and that makes my life a lot easier so um i'm in a real good place i'm in a real good place josh amazing this is been one of my favourite ever chats on Controller Controllables. Oh, thanks, I appreciate it. Thank like, you for having like, me. Gen genuinely. And, and, and I think my final thing I'd like to say before we quickly do the quick fire round is in life, we never quite know 
the consequences of certain learnings and certain situations we have. And sure. there's a big thing that I believe in is, is, is longer term consequence and, yeah. and that things happen for reasons. And, and it can be 20 years later before we actually understand why sure. something has happened and, yeah. and listening to you talk, I have no doubt that you are going to have some real light bulb moments over the next five, 10, 15 years where, where you'll actually be very thankful for the challenging times that you've been through. And yeah. uh, because actually ultimately this sport doesn't define any of us, you know, you're no. saying, you're saying, you're saying about you, you as a coach or you as a player, but ultimately no, it's about you, you as a person and, yeah, and, sure. and, and everything that you've been through. Um, I wish you the very best of luck in it. Keep doing, keep doing a great job. You know, thank yeah, you for sure. sharing so openly. Um, but are you ready for the quick fire round? This is yeah, what we're all here for. Go for it. What does control the controllables mean to you? Uh, so control the controllables to me, um, you know, means anything that is in your control and that is something that you can, um, influence and manage anything that's out of your control, try your best not to worry about it because it's possibly not going to affect your life. And if it does, then it's out of your control. So it's not worth worrying about in the first place. Your future, you can control mate. Your past, you can't now. I like it. Serve or return. Sir. Forehand or backhand? Backhand. Favourite Grand Slam? Uh, Wimbledon. ATP Cup or Davis Cup? Uh, Davis Cup. Biggest piece of advice to an aspiring young tennis player? Enjoy the process. Enjoy working hard. And, yeah, just don't ever think you've done it. You can always be better. Doubles or singles? Singles. Medical timeout or not? The medical timeout gave me the edge in terms of winning, then a medical timeout. Roger or Rafa? Rafa. Serena or Venus? Serena. What's one rule change you would have in tennis? Uh, playing let calls in fast four. Off the serves. Who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables? My former coach, Neil Claxton. You're responsible. Get him in touch. Yeah. Send yeah. me. Tell him he's up next. It's like passing what? the Control the Controllables baton. Yeah. You know. What, get episode, me what, what episode is this, Dan? This, this is, I think, I think it's going to be one five nine. Cool. So he could be one sixty. Yeah. Get See it. Him. Get get it. Get it set up, Josh. Top man, you've been absolutely awesome. Good luck. Go yeah. and do go and go and get on that court and keep and keep smiling. Good lad. Dan, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. I'll see you soon, buddy. Take care. As always, a big thank you to our guests who come on the show. And and, and again, I said it at the start of the show, but I can't thank Josh enough for the way he opened up there, the way he shared quite intimate stories about how he was feeling at certain times and I really hope those listening learnt so much from that and Vicky we we continue to have so many different guests and and again for me such a different mindset again from so many of our other guests yeah you know the thing that I have kept thinking about I was driving earlier on and I was like oh 
tennis is easy. That's what I kept thinking when he said that. Tennis was just easy for me. And I think what I, what I loved about that as well was tennis does mirror life. And, and there is times when you can go along life and it can feel quite easy. Things are, things are happening and going in your favour. And we have to stay so humble. We have to stay ready because we're never far away from it turning around. And, and I think that's kind of twofold. I've, I've mentioned this a lot the last few weeks. We're never far away from playing well and we're never far away from playing badly. And it's exactly the same in life. And it's why humility is something that we drill at the Soto Tennis Academy has been a massive, massive value to carry an attribute to have because you never know. And, and, and if Josh looks back, he spoke so openly about it. I think he probably did lack a little bit of humility at that time. You know, obviously there were some unfortunate events that took place. And, and I think it also showcases just how hard tennis is. Because as, as good as he was, and, and, and if you ever had the chance to watch, watch Josh Sapwell play, he was a serious baller. You know, he could play some proper, proper tennis. And, and he was in line, you know, to, to go on and have a fantastic career as a tennis player. Now, everyone's pathways change at different times. As I said to him, you know, we never know the consequences of what's happened in our life until often 15, 20, 30 years later. And I'm sure he will draw on all of those amazing experiences, pass it on down to the players he's coaching, the relationships that he has. Uh, but I just found him really fascinating. It was fascinating. And again, I can't get past that, the tennis is easy comment. I think some we've had another guest on the podcast. I'm going to say Lee Childs, who said the same thing. Um, his story is quite similar to the Lee Child story in in some ways. You know, they were both kind of childhood superstars, really. And I think superstars definitely the word because how many how many players can say that? A handful. It's it's ridiculous. Like we we're watching players every weekend play at tournaments, and um, anyone would jump at the chance to turn around and say, "Yeah, just I decided to play." this game style and I won and I decided to play the game style again and that's how I played for a year and I was just winning like that isn't the norm it's not and, and, and I think but there is a lesson there it, it can be easy or easier than we all make it you know and just that that itself any youngsters and if our our players at the academy listen to it to this think in a simple manner you know give yourself one clear thing don't make any errors hit to big targets, whatever it might be. You know, sometimes those simple messages can take you a long way. But I do just want to pick up on the on the Josh Sapwell and then you brought in Lee Childs into it. And I think if we, we can go through quite a few, or Ollie Golding, George Morgan, you know, there's been, there's been many over the years who, from Britain, and I know Control the Controllables is all about taking ownership, taking responsibility for yourself. But at the same time, at age 14, 15, 17, 18, you do need the correct support in place. And, and I can't help think that they were let down by, by the governing body at that time. And this is not about bashing 
the the lawn tennis association because that's an easy thing to do but but i hope that they have reflected it seems like they have and and i have to be fair on this as well because jack draper emma radicanu they were the josh sapwell type junior players and i have to tip my hat to the current regime that's working at the lawn tennis association and the people involved because it seems that they've learned from their mistakes they they're putting strong systems strong support around these players because we know going from being a really good junior to a top professional player as easy as some players make it look it really isn't an easy thing to do so I guess black box thinking is what I'm thinking you know the the aviation industry they learn from every crash by the black box they have a little look they they analyze exactly what happened what went wrong and then that information is shared and that moves on then to the to the next generation and and I really do hope that that is happening it seems like it is it seems like there's been some lessons learned and and as ever we need to continue moving that forward but it's also the one size doesn't fit all thing as well um and it's not just the LTA it's any country to go to um, federation and train that isn't always the best choice for players um, it's really hard to say no at times because of things you might be offered and the funding that goes with that and the facilities and the backing you get but it doesn't always suit everyone and it just highlights how important it is to get the right team around each particular player yeah and, and look I, I, when you when you say that Vicky and I think you're spot on I think schools I think tennis academies as well, you know, I think if we go to the micro level of tennis academies, tennis clubs, you go outside of tennis and you go into schools, you go into other clubs, I guess there has to be certain barriers and rules that are put in place that sometimes makes it hard for that individual to flourish uh, if they are a little bit different. And Josh, by his own admission, was he was a little bit different the way the way he thought. I mean, even the way he spoke now, you know, it, it was it was it was a different mentality, and and it go, and it goes to show how challenging it is. It it's it's a bigger thing than just the tennis world because we all, as as parents, think of our own children. We know the ins and outs that they have, the challenges the the trials and tribulations that they go through whether how they see the world how their mind works and to get the right team around you is absolutely spot on what you said Vicky and that's the hardest part in this game I think team yes but also the impact just one coach can have on you I mean Josh said didn't he how incredibly impactful his coach Neil was um and how tough it was for him when they couldn't work together anymore. But on the flip side of that, on the you know looking at the positives, how unbelievably lucky he was to have had that at all, really. Yeah, it's it's a team sport. People call it an individual sport. I think we've seen time and time again. Look at Ash Barty. I know recently retired Ash Barty. She always used the word "we" when they when they won a tournament together. She appreciated what went in. The latest images coming out of out of. America, if you saw Juan Carlos Ferrero, he had to fly home. His his father had unfortunately passed away. And when he came back the night before Carlos played in the final of his first Masters 1000 event, 
it was just incredible pictures you know that was that was something you can't money can't buy well he came in and surprised him didn't he he did but the connection you saw it it was real you know it wasn't just somebody who was telling him to hit with more topspin yeah. you know it was someone that truly is connected to that person and and and, and that's special and, and you don't get many special relationships like that in life when you do get it it makes a real real difference you know josh had it in abundance could somebody have stepped in and played that role? I'm sure they could, because it also can't be that one player relies on one person for their whole career as well. Right. But but I don't think we can shy away from how important that person is. Uh, and I'm sure there's lots of lots of people out there that that feel they've had that as well, and some that don't. But a great a great episode. I I could could have listened to Josh for days. I had loads of questions I wanted to ask him again. I hope he's happy. He seems happy. You know, there was still some rawness to the emotion and, and I appreciate him sharing that 100%. But he did say his coaching has brought the love of the game back, which was amazing to hear. It's a sport for life. It's it a sport is. for life at all the levels and we're going to continue bringing you this sport from all the different levels that we can. Thank you all for listening. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables.